Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the book of Judges, chapter 9. Judges, chapter 9, hear now the word of our God. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barit, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men on one stone. But Yotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beit Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Yotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative, if you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beit Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beit Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Be'er and lived there because of Abimelech his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the seventy sons of Rebbaal might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? 
Is he not the son of Jerubbaal, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and, and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the tower of El-Barit. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalmon, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebez and encamped against Thebez and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his seventy brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Yotham, the son of Jerubbaal. This is the word of the Lord. So now you know the answer to the trivia question, who was the first king in Israel? Most people usually say Saul, 
but no. There was a king in Israel before Saul. It was Abimelech. He's largely forgotten. But the story of Abimelech, the son of Gideon, that's Jerubbaal in our story, is Gideon from our last few weeks. This story of Abimelech does serve as a prelude to Saul. It's a cautionary tale. If you insist on a king, be careful. You might just get what you ask for. (laughs) What is it that you want? Uh, We saw in chapters 1 to 3 of Judges, the book sets up the story with a comparison between Judah, and the Lord was with Judah, and the Lord blessed Judah, and everywhere Judah turns, they succeed, and then Benjamin. It's a little more sketchy. Benjamin doesn't do what's right. The first judge, Otniel, was from Judah, and the text says nothing bad about Otniel. The second judge, Ehud, was from Benjamin, and while he's not bad, he kind of smells funny as he sneaks out through the sewer. He's got unsavory associations. He's a Benjaminite, son of my right hand, who's crippled in his right hand, or restricted in his right hand, is the Hebrew. So he's called a left-handed man, which the same phrase was used of those Benjamites will encounter at the end of the book. So at the beginning of the book, we've been, there's been a hint. Look for something good from Judah. Don't expect much from Benjamin, or well, or the rest of Israel for that matter. We had Deborah, she was good, though Barak left something to be desired. We've had three chapters now on Gideon and his wavering between fear and faith, and he certainly did not end well, because it sounded good at first. I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And then he goes on to act like he's the one ruling. You're like, hmm, sounded pious, but then he acts like the very thing that he says he's not going to be. And now we come to Gideon's ill-named son, Abimelech, which means, my father is king. Why would you name your son, my father is king? That's the name that Gideon gave him. Gideon named him Abimelech. Gideon named his son, my father is king. Gideon had said, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. Yahweh will rule over you. Did you notice that there is no reference to Yahweh, no reference to the Lord anywhere in chapter 9? God does not speak in this chapter. He does not act. Even the name Yahweh cannot be found in Judges 9. Of course, some some scholars think that, that, oh, that must mean the Abimelech narrative came from a different source. This misses the entire point of Judges 9. Okay. Sure, it's very likely that the author of Judges had many sources that he used. Obviously, he didn't live through the whole period, so he had to use sources. But in compiling his book, our author is a very clear-headed theologian who understands very well the theological implications of his narrative. The voice of the Lord was very prominent in the early part of the Gideon narrative. Yahweh sent a prophet in chapter 6. The angel of Yahweh calls Gideon in chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6 and again in chapter 7, Yahweh speaks to Gideon four times. Yahweh acts in giving the victory to Gideon. 
And then Yahweh begins to fall silent as Gideon becomes more and more noisy, shall we say. The last reference to Yahweh was Judges 8, verse 34, when it says, The people of Israel did not remember Yahweh, their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbaal, that is, Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. So chapter 9 only refers to Elohim, God, never using the name of Yahweh. In the same way, it never uses the name of Gideon, always calling him Jerubbaal. If you recall, Jerubbaal was the name given to him uh, when he tore down his father's altar to Baal at the beginning of the Gideon story. And the name means, let Baal contend with him. What's happening in chapter 9? Whenever Jerubbaal, the name Jerubbaal is used, it recalls the contention within Gideon himself between Yahweh worship and Baal worship. And now, chapter 9 will be, you might say, the return of Baal, the revenge of Baal. Baal strikes back. Now, you may have noticed as we read chapter 9, chapter 9 is a long chapter. Our author takes an awful long time to tell this story. Part of it is, hey, it's actually a pretty interesting story. But our author plainly thinks there's something about this story that is crucial to his point. What is so important about Abimelech? Well, again, at the beginning of Judges, we saw the theme was all about Judah versus Benjamin. And the refrain in the book of Judges in the last few chapters will be, in those days there was no king in Israel. Well, Judges 9 tells us about the one exception to that refrain. There was one king in Israel, Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal. So if you want to see what is it like to have a king not after God's own heart, let's look at Abimelech. Gideon had apparently rejected the kingship in chapter 8. He had refused to rule over Israel, insisting that Yahweh alone would rule over them. But in the very next breath, Gideon had requested the Israelites demonstrate their loyalty to him by giving him a portion of the plunder. And he takes the, the, the royal garments of the kings of Midian, claiming some sort of royal status for himself. And he had made the ephod out of the golden ornaments. And the ephod was designed to encourage people to come to Gideon to inquire of the Lord and find out what God wanted them to do with their lives. He's plainly setting himself up as an alternate authority in Israel. He also goes on to, to marry many wives. He has 70 sons. This is something ordinary Israelites would not have done. You have to be somebody powerful, somebody in authority. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, God had warned that when, when Israel did have kings, they should not marry many wives. They should not have many sons. So already Gideon, Jeroboam, has gone down the path that God said kings should not go down. He's maybe not be a king, but he, he certainly acts like a king. And he even names his son, my father is king. But this is the son of his concubine in Shechem. Now why is this important? Well, Shechem was a pagan city established by a man named Hamor back in Genesis chapter 34. It was on the slopes of Mount Gerizim, in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. 
This is in between the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing. Moses had told Israel to renew the covenant at Gerizim with half the people standing on Gerizim for the blessing and half the people standing on Ebal for the cursing. And that's what Joshua had done. We read about this in the the book of Joshua, how Joshua fulfills what Moses had said. So they would have been standing here at Shechem when they renewed the covenant in Joshua's day. It's within the territory of Ephraim, and it's the place also where Abraham had purchased a burial ground where the patriarchs were buried. In Joshua 20, it was Shechem was designated as a city of refuge, and it was the location of the covenant renewals in Joshua chapter 8, and again Joshua 24, when they fulfilled what God had, promised, had commanded. But Shechem still had a large Canaanite population, which is not surprising, given what we were told in Judges chapter 1 about the failure of Israel to drive out the Canaanites. So, so Gideon names the son of his Shechemite concubine Abimelech. Now, from chapter 9, it sure looks like and sounds like this concubine is a Canaanite. Gaal's words in chapter 9, verse 28, seems to indicate that Hamor, a contemporary of Abraham, was still remembered as the, the ancient lord of Shechem, which also suggests that Gaal and the leaders of Shechem were, were not Israelites. At least some of them were not Israelites. So there's actually some of the ambiguity is very much intentional. It's actually at the heart of Judges 9. It's getting increasingly difficult to tell the difference between an Israelite and a Canaanite. Either Canaanites are ruling one of the cities of refuge, or else Israelites are thinking of Hamor the Canaanite as the patron of their city. Either way, it's not good. Now, Abimelech realizes that as the son of a concubine, he's the 71st son of Gideon. Not necessarily in birth order, but the sons of his wives would have higher status than the son of a concubine. So he, he goes to his mother's hometown and suggests that Shechem would get a better deal if he were king, rather than if the 70 sons of Jerubbaal ruled. And he appeals to the family connection to persuade them, uh, a claim that will come back to haunt him. But the Shechemites listen to Abimelech, and the, the lords of Shechem, the leaders of Shechem, uh, now this is where it gets fun. The Hebrew word for leaders of Shechem is the Baals. Baals of Shechem. In in Hebrew, the word Baal, Baal, simply means Lord, which can be used either for human lords, masters, which is very common in the Old Testament, but it can also be used for the name of a Canaanite god, Baal, Baal. And it's usually pretty easy to tell which is which because, but but also uh, later on in... uh, like, for instance, the name with the name Jerubbaal, let Baal contend. Later on in Hebrew writing, they don't like including the name Baal in any godly man's name or, you know, great hero's name. So they, even just ordinary names. So they'll rename Jerubbaal Jerubbasheth. Because that's, and that, the, 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 it's, means shame. So basically, because it's it's a shame that you were named after Baal, so we should, we, don't, we want to take the name Baal out of your name, and so we'll we'll see that later on. But uh, the, but 
early in Israelite history, Baal simply meant Lord or Master, and so the masters, the leaders of, of Shechem, are called Baals, Lords. It's important in a story about a conflict between Yahweh and Baal that we see these Baals are playing a key role in the story. So he was renamed, Gideon was renamed Jerubbaal, that Baal contend. Well, now the Baals, the lords, are contending. So the Baals of Shechem, the Baals, the leaders, support Abimelech and provide funding from the treasury of their god, Baal Barit, the, the lord of the covenant. And with his 70 pieces of silver, Abimelech hires worthless and reckless fellows who murder the 70 sons of Jerubbaal in a single stone. 70, 70 shekels, that's a one piece of silver per, per brother. That's a cheap price. But even though our story is focused on Shechem, the, the question arises naturally, where was the rest of Israel here? Here's, here's the sons of Gideon, who, whatever you may think of, of Gideon's later sort of turns and twists, he's, he was a hero who delivered God's people and they had 40 years of peace because of him. And now they're just going to stand by and let all 70 of his sons be slaughtered in one day? This is not a good thing. So Abimelech kills his 70 brothers. One escapes, Yotham. This is the one place where the name of Yahweh sneaks into our chapter. His name means Yahweh is perfect. Yahweh is honest. And having removed the competition... The rulers of Shechem come together to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar at Shechem. I know, we, we tend to just let those little place names just like, just fritter by us. The oak of the pillar in Shechem. The Lord had appeared to Abraham and promised to give the land to his seed at the great tree of Morah in Shechem. This was the place where God had promised Abraham the land. Some have suggested that the pillar there was actually built to prop up a decrepit old tree that would by this point be hundreds of years old, perhaps depending on how old it was when Abraham was there, perhaps thousand years old. This was also the place where, where Jacob had buried all the pagan gods in his household when he purged his house of idolatry in Genesis 35. In Joshua 24, it was the place where Abraham's descendants had thrown away their foreign gods at the oak near the holy place of the Lord in Shechem. So here at this ancient holy place where Abraham was promised the land, where Jacob and Joshua forsook foreign gods. Here, Abimelech, first king of Israel, is crowned under the banner of Baal Barit. Today, when we see pagan rituals performed in Christian church buildings, we are reminded this is what happens when Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And when we abandon the word of the Lord, what do we have? Well, when, when Yotam heard that Abimelech had been crowned king, 
he went and spoke to the Baals, the lords of Shechem. Verse 7, he says that he spoke from the top of Mount Gerizim. Um, it's unlikely that this refers to the summit, because if you're standing on the summit of Gerizim, people down below you couldn't have heard. It probably refers to a promontory of rock overlooking the city. Uh, now, the acoustics here are, are supposed to be pretty good. After all, they, uh, in Joshua's day, they had had one group on Gerizim, one group on Ebal, and they were lifting up their voices, and they were hearing each other from these two mountains. But it's also a place, if you think, of when there are, there's, there's a place that's been suggested as a likely place of outcropping of rock over the city. One advantage it has is if you're standing up there, uh, you can say quite a bit before anybody can get up to you, which is important because he's got a little bit he wants to say. We've heard of prophets and even speeches by the angel of the Lord, but Yotham's speech comes without any explicit divine authority, but that's partly what chapter 9 is doing. The Lord is silent. Yotam comes, and uh, in one sense, he didn't need a word from the Lord to do what he did. What he does, I mean, what he does is simply he tells his, 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 his fable of the trees, and then he pronounces a curse, which would be entirely appropriate for any Israelite to do. And he starts with this fable, and he he says, listen to me, you bales of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees went out to anoint a king. And they looked first to, to the olive, the fig, and the vine. Olive oil was used to, to anoint. It was, it was that which honored both gods and men. It was used as, as a cooking oil, as fuel and lamps, as an ingredient in perfumes and many other products. The fig was prized for its sweet fruit. The vine produced wine which cheers gods and men. But these useful trees refused the honor of rule. The olive preferred to honor others rather than seek its own glory. The fig would sweeten the lives of others. The vine wished to cheer God and men rather than elevate itself. And so finally the trees turned to the bramble. It's, it's a buckthorn tree. It's a, it's a fairly useless tree without much to commend it other than, you know, it's got some thorns that could stab you. Um, but notice that the, the bramble does not accept with humility, but with arrogance. If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. It's like, uh, how are we going to climb, I mean, the, the, the cedars of Lebanon crawling under a bramble? I mean, What? But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and destroy the cedars of Lebanon. The bramble accepts the kingship, but with the kingship comes a curse. If you do not come in good faith, then I will destroy you. Now, the, the fable of the trees is appropriate in light of the Gideon narrative. Do you rem remember where Gideon starts? Under a terebinth tree in Ophrah? where he brought his offering to the angel and was made a judge. And now Abimelech has been made king at the oak of the pillar of Shechem. But also think back to chapter 8, where Gideon whipped the elders of Succoth with thorns and briars. Now, as it were, a, a thorn bush of his begetting 
will rule over Israel. It may not be the, the same word used in Genesis of how the earth would bring forth thorns and thistles, but it's the same picture. Instead of useful crops, the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles. Instead of useful trees, Israel will be ruled by a bramble. And then Jotham provides the application in verses 16 to 20 that if the people of Shechem have acted with integrity by slaughtering the sons of Drebal and making Abimelech king, then rejoice together. But otherwise, if Jotham pronounces a curse, if you have not acted in good faith, then may fire come out from Abimelech and destroy the bales of Shechem and let fire come out from the bales of Shechem and destroy Abimelech. And then Jotham runs away because he knows <laughs> this speech is not making you any friends in Shechem. But then while the focus is on Shechem, verse 22 says that Abimelech ruled Israel for three years. Now, that doesn't mean that all Israel acknowledged his rule. It's, it's very unlikely that people down in Judah even really knew much about this. But when it says he ruled over Israel, he ruled in Israel. Israel put up with this petty king in their midst. But it's also clear from verse 55 that a significant part of Israel followed Abimelech. But then God sends an evil spirit between Abimelech and the lords of Shechem. Uh, when you hear about this evil spirit, it, it's not necessarily that God sent a demon to do his work, though he is certainly capable of doing that. Uh, the Hebrew phrase does not necessarily mean a spirit that is itself evil, but it's a destructive spirit. And certainly the spirit that God sends is destructive. Think of the, uh, the evil spirit that God sends to Saul when he removed his Holy Spirit from him. In fact, please think of that evil spirit, destructive spirit, because the author of the book of Judges wants you to think of that spirit. Remember what God did to Saul? Well, that's what God does when, when, he, when you establish a king that does not follow after God then God, when, when a bad king comes, then a bad spirit comes, together with death and destruction. As Abimelech had dealt treacherously with the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, now the, the Baals of Shechem, the lords of Shechem, deal treacherously with him. Uh, they plot against him, and they start starting off with ambushes in the mountains, and Abimelech hears of it. But before you hear Abimelech's response, you hear of this fellow, Gaal, the son of Ebed. Gaal claims to be a true Shechemite a Canaanite, descended from Hamor, the founder of Shechem. He uses Abimelech's argument and takes it to its logical conclusion. If you're serving Abimelech because his mother was from Shechem, why not serve someone whose father was the founder of Shechem? Now, the response of, of Shechem is, it, it, it's, a, it's a series of eight verbs with, with two sets of four, with going out and going in as the key. They go out into the field, gather grapes, tread them, and hold a festival. They go into the house of their god, Baal Barit, eating and drinking. And the eighth thing they do? Revile the name of Abimelech. Uh, holding a festival is uh, re rejoicing, halulim. And the word for cursing is kalal. So there's hal from halal to kalal. They are rejoicing in the house of Baal Barit and cursing the name of Abimelech. The world is turned upside down and backwards. Abimelech needs to go, but it's, it's no God-fearing judge who will take him down. It's a bunch of Baal worshippers. Jerubbaal, let Baal contend. 
And Baal is. When the people of God sink into corruption and decay, God will accomplish his holy purposes. He will use even pagan rulers to do his holy will. And so Gaal challenges Abimelech to battle. And Abimelech, uh, the, Abimelech's governor, Zabul, warns Abimelech that Gaal is stirring up trouble. So Abimelech comes with a surprise sneak attack and destroys Gaal. And then, not content with that, Abimelech turns against all the people of Shechem. He's going to make them pay for their willingness to follow Gaal. He slaughters the people in the fields, captures the city, raises it to the ground, sows it with salt as a sign of his curse, as a symbol of barrenness and death. And so now the, the Baals of Shechem, the lords of Shechem, flee to the house of El-Barit, the god of the covenant. But Abimelech takes wood and sets fire to the temple of El-Barit, and all the Baals of Shechem perish. Fire has come forth from the bramble to destroy the cedars of Lebanon. The tower of Shechem would have been built with cedar. So it's actually rather literal. Fire from Abimelech has destroyed the cedars of Lebanon. All Abimelech's rivals have been eliminated. His siblings are dead. The Shechemites are destroyed. And not content with his victories, he then attacks the Bez. Why? We're not told. There may have been some reason for his actions, but Judges portrays it as a wanton act of violence. Whatever reason he had, it wasn't sufficient. And Once again, his forces capture the city. Once again, the people flee to their stronghold. Once again, Abimelech prepares to set the tower on fire, but this time, a woman drops a millstone on his head. He calls to his armor-bearer and orders him to kill him, so that he will not face the same fate as Sisera, death at the hands of a woman. He calls his armor-bearer to kill him. I know. You, I see some of you going, ah, but I know others of you, it's like, uh-huh. That's exactly what Saul does when King Saul is on the battlefield. He, he knows that he's wounded, he sees that he's going to get captured, and so he orders his armor-bearer to kill him. In that case, the armor-bearer refused, but in this case, the armor-bearer does it and strikes him down. And now that he's dead, the, the men of Israel return home. This experiment in Canaanite-style kingship is over. Now, verses 56 and 57 finally help us understand why this story must be told Abimelech was fatally flawed in character and in name. My father is king? No. God alone is king. And he, Yahweh, is the one who brings justice against the one who would set himself up in God's place. Throughout the book of Judges, God has been merciful and kind. He has not treated Israel as they deserve. But here in the case of Abimelech, God is resoundingly just. He gives Abimelech exactly what he deserved. Why the difference? Well, Abimelech slaughtered 70 brothers on one stone. And so, by one stone, the upper millstone, God slaughters him. It was through his mother, a woman, that he claimed the rule of Shechem, and it's by a woman that he is taken down. When the enemy was outside Israel, 
God had mercy on his people and delivered them when they cried to him. But when one from within Israel arises to oppress and destroy, God brings swift judgment. Of all the oppressions in the book of Judges, three years is the shortest. The three years of Abimelech's rule. But of course, Abimelech is not the only one to receive God's wrath. Shechem, one of the cities of refuge, Shechem, had sworn allegiance to Baal Barit, one of the Baals. And so Shechem, too, is cast down and destroyed. They aided Abimelech in slaughtering his brothers. And so they receive the due penalty for their sin. There's a note of warning in this narrative. Whereas the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, a spirit of disaster clothes Abimelech. Abimelech was not a servant leader, the the kingly ideal of Deuteronomy 17. He is one who seeks his own power and glory. Do not seek a king like Abimelech. And that's why all the connections to Saul are so important. Both are sent evil spirits from God due to their wicked ways. Both ask their sword bearers to kill them. Uh, now there, there's, but there is another reference to Abimelech in the Old Testament. It's in, it's in 2 Samuel 11.21. This is where David has ordered Joab to put Uriah in the front lines. And Joab, send, uh, after doing the dastardly deed, Joab sends a messenger back to tell him that, that Uriah is dead. And Joab tells the messenger to return to David and say, If the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth? No, Jerubbaal changed to Jerubbesheth. Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall, so that he died at Thebez? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. The story of Abimelech was still remembered in Israel. Perhaps the book of Judges had already been written in some form as a pro-David history, but at the very least, Joab is saying, David, you're reminding me of Abimelech. You're acting in a way that is more like Abimelech. Joab himself has a very checkered history. But there are moments in Samuel where Joab seems to be the one who sees more clearly than anybody else what's happening. The lesson of Abimelech is that dynastic rule cannot possibly end well until God himself comes in our flesh. Rulers who are themselves faithless will prove to be bramble fire, destroying the ones who take refuge in them. It's only in Jesus that we have a king who truly can claim the name Abimelech. My father is king. Only in him do we find a safe refuge in time of need. It's only when Jesus comes in our flesh and joins himself to our humanity that we have a king who is truly God and man in one person who can provide that Safety. That's why the book of Hebrews will spend all this time on Jesus as a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, one who is priest and king in one person. And so let us pray. O oh Lord our God, have mercy on us and help us to hold fast to our great Melchizedek, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whose father is king because 
You are His Father. You are the, the one who has who created all things and has ruled over all things. We thank You that You have established Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. We thank You that He humbled Himself, that He took our form, that He bore our humanity, that He might carry our sin and bring us to You. We thank You that You have given us all that we need for life and godliness through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us, that we might have a, a sure refuge, one who will, who will guard us and guide us through all the storms of life, through all the trials and tribulations that we face, that we might draw near to You because You have established Jesus as King. Have mercy on us and, and, and help us by Your Holy Spirit. Renew us and refresh us by Your grace that we might that we might know you more and love you more and walk before you as your children, that we might live as those who belong to Jesus. Be with those, O Lord, who are suffering and afflicted. Have mercy on those who are dealing with with physical ailments and ailments of of heart and and of spirit, that you would graciously sustain and comfort them and be their fort and their their refuge. Be with those in us all in facing the, the trials and temptations of the coming week that we might ever draw near to you clinging to Jesus as our, our rock and defender and as we go to our rest this night we pray that your peace would be with us and that as you have sent forth your word throughout this day all over the world we pray that your gospel would have its effect in building up your people in holiness and comfort and bringing many to faith in Jesus Christ that your glory might be made known throughout all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.